This episode is supported by Enscape, empowering your design workflow by turning your BIM model into an immersive 3D experience. So I was cruising through Twitter the other day, and I I think that's where I saw this. And there was a a video snippet of Adam Savage from Mythbusters fame, and he has a he has a new show called Tested. I think I haven't watched it, but but this clip I did watch this clip because I I have enjoyed some Mythbusters episodes in the past because of like the the making aspect of it. What I love about it is like they 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 want to go you know, potentially bust this myth. Right. And in in the process of doing so, like they just make everything by hand. And I, so do I want to be a Mythbuster? Heck yeah, I, <laughs> I want to be a Mythbuster. And and because there's some I, I guess there's there's two parts to it. Number one is like they're making this stuff with their own hands yeah. and their team is doing all of this stuff. And you get to see that aspect of it, which is very much like what I feel like when I'm doing a project around the house. Like I do have a lot of tools. I do have to justify their existence in, in my possession at least. And I do like to make stuff. I, it's kind of a love hate relationship actually. Yeah. Um, I think there's a, a perspective that people have of me that I'm happiest when I'm making stuff. <laughs> and there are times when it is like that. And there's other times where it's just so difficult yeah. that I wish I had hired somebody else to do it, obviously. So, um, but they would never do it the way that I want. Exactly. I was going to say, but, but when you're sitting there under your steel, uh, trellis pergola thing that you just mm-hmm. created on your deck, would you have been satisfied with, with an Aluma wood <laughs> trellis <laughs> or, or just, or just something <laughs> else, you know, like that, like you had this vision in your mind and you know, through all of the pain and torture of getting to that final product, finished product, that <laughs> pain and torture is pretty pretty hacky. Yeah, yeah, I know. I've I've <laughs> I, I've heard the stories, and and so you know, all of the pain and torture. Now you're sitting there in a nice California crisp morning, sipping some coffee under this trellis that you had created um, on this deck that there's, you had there's hammered. Some satisfaction. There, there is some satisfaction yeah. that. No, like even if you, so like, it's interesting because if you think about this, when we, there's a level of like satisfaction that every architect experiences when they see a napkin sketch, you're turning the keys over to that owner. Now that's a huge, huge process that there is satisfaction there for sure. You know, it's this, this sense of satisfaction that you, you know, that you get from create, from seeing your creation evolve from that initial idea to that final completion. And that's probably the same as like you and I, how we're like, Oh, you know, you could take some, you could take your car to somebody else and have them change out the radiator or do the brakes or do something like that. And to me, there's a sense of cathartic kind of connection with my vehicle that I'm like, oh yeah, you know, yes, somebody else sure. built this vehicle, but I'm a part of this vehicle now because, you know, I've like changed the brakes or I've changed the radiator or I've like, you know, rebuilt the, you know, something. <laughs> I'm going to trust myself going 80 miles an hour down the road that these brakes are going to work uh, <laughs> after I change. You know, <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that because, you know, there's so many people who will say, how do you know this? And I'm not sure I know the answer to that. Like, 
You know, right. like we do, you and I, and many people like tend to do this like pretty amazing kind of like reverse engineering, you know, where we, you know, we'll sit there and have this uncanny ability to like, like, I remember the very first time I did a set of drum breaks, you know, and, and for those who don't know what drum breaks are, the old timey breaks. <laughs> <laughs> the old time pushy pushy yeah. squeaky squeaky old timey breaks <laughs> and i i remember like pulling it apart and you know like seeing the the brake shoes and the springs and the pistons and the you know and everything else and i'm just like what is going on and so i like visually took like notes on like every part and piece that i took apart and how it came apart you know yeah, now it's a camera. <laughs> and now it's a camera, or now it's a video. Yeah. Like you know, right. which would have been awesome. Uh, yeah, some narrative. <laughs> I, could, I could just imagine, like, how many how many problems you could have avoided? What if you only had that? Tool? If I if I had one, I'd probably been an, an inter, international internet star for working on a Triumph TR seven um, <laughs> by videoing and uploading to youtube like all of the stuff to just keep that thing running it's just like is a tr7 your daily driver well here's a way to change your brakes here's the channel for you (laughs) right for for all three of you i was gonna say for the first question is is why um you you get rid of that (laughs) and go get a real car but you know but it was just (laughs) step one step step one (laughs) stop using this as your daily driver but, but, you know, it's just this like fun of the craft, fun of being able to like do those things and have that satisfaction that you're able to do that. And so I guess back to like Mythbusters in talking about Adam Savage is that like, I, I, I totally there in your camp, like the allure of that show was really not just the, at the end, there's either going to be this epic failure or epic success of, you know, whatever it is that they were trying to accomplish. But also the fact that here they are, they're taking something. They're taking it apart. They're reverse engineering it, re-engineering it by hand. Like they're building something. It's just like, hey, let's see if this toaster will really, you know, launch something 50 feet in the air kind of thing. (laughs) And so they reverse engineer this thing. Like, you know, increase the, the you know, and then they, when they rebuild it, they rebuild it with, you know, like their own know-how and stuff. And it's just the, the, this, um, it's problem solving in action exactly. right, too. Like that, that's a exactly. huge, huge part of it. It is like all of their combined experience plus brainstorming on the fly, plus experimentation, all of those ingredients I think are, are a part of that. And I, that's, that is what I love about it. It, it kind of reminds me, and I, I want to get back to the, <laughs> where I started yeah. the story at some point, we, we'll, we'll get there. But like, it, it, it also makes me think of shows when I was growing up that were very formative for me, which was this old house, which we've talked about. And also new Yankee workshop, like these, these, the use of the tools to do a craft and use them in certain ways with all of the experience and knowledge combined. And, you know, like, especially with this old house, everybody who's remodeled knows that you open up a can of worms like every single day. Like you, there's, there's stuff that you cannot foresee that's going to happen that you're going to have to solve around. And this is quote unquote normal, but it is also like, that's what makes it kind of interesting because that is part of that experimentation and problem solving in action because it, 
it doesn't all go as planned, right? It's not as straightforward as it as you would appear in the beginning. So I I still watch this old house, and you know I was watching it uh, kind of like a little marathon of one of that the the current house that they're working on in Concord, Massachusetts. For those who are actually watching the show, <laughs> for those who are current, for, for those who, are, <laughs> and you know, my daughter was just like. You know, we, we watch like all these shows, like the baking shows and, and, you know, home improvement shows and things like that. And of course they're always kind of like stuck into the times when they can't get away and I'm watching car shows. And the one thing that all of those shows have in common that is completely different from this old house is that within a episode or two, the whole project is done. So there's like a car that is being completely, you know, from ground up restored into one hour. Everybody in architecture has seen how HGTV has ruined this for our profession. Has, has ruined, exactly. And it's just like, wait, wait, you can't have plans? That takes years? What? Yeah, it's like, you know, it's just like, wait, but on HTV, yeah, it's like HDTV, they met with me yesterday and this morning they came knocking on the door with permit uh, plans in hand. You're like, where are your permit plans? You're like, oh yeah, because that's how it works. You know, and and so and so that's the beauty. And and so she was just like, you know, this is this seems kind of boring because it's an entire the pace is so slow. It's it's like the entire season is just spent on like one house. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. And I was just like, because this is the reality of what we live in. This is the reality of how long it really does take to build a custom home or a restoration or whatever. And I love that they actually take the time to slow down and show you how to do something rather than think about it. Look, it's done. Like that leap is what has gotten us into so much trouble as a, as an industry, you know, the building industry, as far as expectations are go, but they actually take the time to say like, look, this is how you do it. There's, there's, I I think I brought it up on this show before, but there's this great YouTube channel called the essential craftsman where this guy like shows you how to use a a high lift Jack for all these different purposes when built like out on the farm. Right. (laughs) And it's, and he shows you how a, like eight different ways you can use a Stanley tape measure that you never knew you could use it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's things like that, that I think are when you can go slow like that and, and reveal the intricacies that all of their experience has, has brought them to, to, to then convey it to you through this kind of weird YouTube mentorship paradigm, yeah, exactly. that, you know, universe that we live in, which is awesome. Uh, like, I love that part of it. It's like, like okay, now we're going to talk about how to install baseboards yeah, and all of the things that you need to be thinking about when you're installing baseboards so that when you're done, you're happy with it, right? Because it would appear to be very simple. You buy the wood, you paint it, you nail it on. It's not like that at all, though, in in the real world. So that's what I love about shows like Yankee Workshop in this old house where they actually yeah. do slow down and say, okay, we're going to install a downspout today, right? Like, <laughs> we're not, just, not going to flip like, the house today. Just a downspout? <laughs> That's all you're going to show me? <laughs> but here I am and here you are and here everybody else is. We're riveted on, right? like, oh my gosh. And look, oh, oh, he's driving a nail. Right. Well, but, you know, and so, so they go through this whole process and we're completely riveted by the process of... You know, watching them 
pull down these gutters and then put fix them, repair them, show them how to improve upon them, show why they failed. And like I was hanging on on his every word. I was just like, T- preach it, Tom. You know that's awesome too. It's like showing why it failed, so it's, so that you can not make it fail again. Exactly, right? and, exactly. And that is what so many of these other shows don't show, which is the crappy, crappy craftsmanship that goes into these things so that they look good from 30 feet away on a, on a low res video camera compared to real life, at least. And they don't talk about what these people are going to have to deal with in the future because of the speed at which they did this and the crappy shoddy craftsmanship that they use. Yeah. I always wonder about like, you know, it's just like, Oh, and I flipped this house in four weeks. And yeah. then you look at the house the way it was Those before. Those poor, poor new owners that are going to get that. And, and that's the first thing that I think of is like, oh, man, like what what corners did they cut to get done yeah, in this time? Totally. It's literally, there's this uh, song that I always like play periodically that, it you know, paint the rust. And, <laughs> and I, I use the term often. You can make rust look shiny and new by just painting it, but the rust hasn't gone away and it will continue to degrade. And it will continue to like <laughs> fail yes. and everything like it looks pretty from the outside, but it's like decaying on the inside. <laughs> we, we did have an episode titled Bondo Artistry. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Just, just, you know, scrape it out and fill it with Bondo and paint it as good as new. Yeah. I hate to keep going back to like these, these car shows and stuff, but you know, you get like, you? though, no, I don't, <laughs> but, but you get these. They like, like say Dave Kindig from um, Bitchin' Car, Bitchin' Rides. You know, he will get a car and they'll be like, oh, this looks great. And then they start to like, they, they put it to the media blasting and they like, you know, take oh, it down yeah. to bare mod. Expose metal. all the cancer. And it looks, exactly. It looks like Swiss cheese when it's done. And they're just like, yeah, well, we can't put this back out on the road. And, you know, so they like show like half the stuff that they've got to cut out. And that's what I think of every time I see these these home improvement shows you just i just worry every time i see these shows it's just like this is the reality they've created to us and i know that we're like way off on like the <laughs> dirt road like that's how it goes the original road was way the hell over there and we're now like up in the mountains on a dirt pass that you know we may or may not be able to get out of <laughs> <laughs> we might not be able to turn around on this exactly yeah. <laughs> uh Getting back to Adam Adam Savage and where I was originally going with this, because I think this applies to how a lot of people are feeling these days. So I'm watching him recreate a ping pong ball gun that he built when he was in high school. And he's Mm -hmm. commenting like, and and he's just like, man, this is really taking me back like this. He's like, I'm feeling the exact same feelings that I felt when I was dreaming this up and making this when I was in high school. And I can only imagine the kind of shenanigans yeah as an old person would say which <laughs> yeah. is me in this case uh that he got into in school as this kind of person that he that he is and was but it's it's contagious yeah how yeah. much fun he's having doing this right right and i saw like seriously a 20 second clip 30 second clip of him putting you know figuring out how to build a ping pong gun <laughs> and He's just in his workshop by himself. Obviously, there's somebody or our tripod or I don't know if he's filming it himself or I can't remember if, if the camera was moving around or not. But, you know, he's 100% focused on making this silly contraption and having the time of his life producing a show that people enjoy watching. And so he's actually making a living doing this thing that he loves and I'm sure 
when he was in high school had no freaking idea what he was going to do with his life, right? And here he is, ended up doing this. And I, I know his life isn't all roses, but seriously, to see him quote-unquote working, which is really playing and having the great time, like that to me was what I long for. Because I don't feel like that, and I, I know you don't feel like that, and I know that a lot of people who listen to this show don't feel like that. Because, you know, we said the two words early on in this episode that I think a lot of architects feel for this profession or experience is pain and torture. Like, it is very hard on a day-to-day basis. And it's like, every day we walk away and it's like, wow, how do I recover from that? And then still show up tomorrow to do it again. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I, 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 and we laugh because how else do we cope? I don't yeah. even know. I mean, and I don't necessarily regret the term that I use for my relationship with architecture, but it's an abusive relationship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And here again, we're laughing about that. And right. It's no laughing matter, actually. It, it is. Let's take a moment and talk about the sponsor of this episode. Enscape is a leading real-time rendering and virtual reality tool for the global AEC market. It plugs directly into your modeling software, giving you an integrated design and visualization process. With Enscape, you can render in real-time and walk stakeholders through your rendered model with incredible ease. Your buildings can be experienced long before they are built. More than 200,000 unique monthly users from over 150 countries use Enscape to envision better designs. To learn more or to sign up for a free 14-day trial, visit Enscape3D.com slash Arcaspeak today. That's Enscape3D.com slash Arcaspeak. So I just recently purchased as part of my list four books that I'll be uh, tackling this this year. Future books. Future books. future book pile. My yeah. future book pile is Adam Savage's uh, Every Tool is a Hammer. Mm-hmm. And so Nick Offerman, you know, they they quoted Nick Offerman, uh, which if you haven't read any of Nick Offerman's books, his are fantastic as well. But he was just like, it's an imperative how-to for creativity. And so kind of like the the dust jacket description of it is, is that the Discovery Channel's Mythbusters host shares his golden rules for creativity from finding inspiration to following through and successfully making your ideas a reality. And I was just like, yeah, I mean, it's books like that, that I have picked up this, this year for my future reading, my current Mm -hmm. and future reading Mm -hmm. is really just anything that I can draw inspiration from on the act of creating the act of doing the inspiration behind creativity. Cause we are in a very creative profession. And a lot of times I worry about losing inspiration. We talk about like the hard times of, you know, the profession and how it beats you down. And, and we do it. We've, we've done this. We've gotten into this profession. Let me just try to try to reword this a little bit. We got into this profession to, because of our love of creativity and creating and taking that napkin sketch and really kind of expanding it to a living, breathing, occupiable building, something that people can enjoy, people can be a part of and experience our creativity. And and so I've been looking for all of these books and most all of them, in fact, every one of them currently right now of the titles that I have, the titles that are 
like, you know, continuously stacking up, none of them are about architecture. And it's not that I'm like trying to shy away from the inspiration that drew me to architecture and why I would, why I wouldn't read a book about inspiration or architecture is I have inspiration in architecture. And that is what does keep me coming back each day after a hard day, after a hard week of travel and going to client workshops and things like that, and getting all sorts of like mixed feelings about input on my creativity. And it's just like, you know, we put ourselves out there, you know, we, we really kind of like bear our souls of our creative nature. And sometimes they, you know, get beaten down and sometimes they get fully embraced. And it's those time, those opportunities is what we come back for. And so like really looking at, so I, I wonder, it's just like, there are so many creative professions out there, you know, what keeps them going? I mean, because like, is it, is it a similar like feeling? Is it a similar nature of like successes and failures that keeps people coming back or what drives them? And, and so like books like that. And then I just recently finished reading Grease Junkie by Ed China. Here's another one that, you know, we want to talk about like living this, this interesting life that he's a mechanic and an engineer and he holds the Guinness Book of World Records for a variety of fastest couch, fastest toilet, uh, fastest. This is like a Red Bull, a go-kart race. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, but I mean, you know, like he's built, he's like taken a, a couch and he's like put it on, he's like created a bespoke frame yeah. and engine from right. a mini that, you know, and so like he's got like. It's a serious couch. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like a world record for like going like 80, 90 miles an hour on a couch <laughs> and <laughs> and making it road legal where he could get a registration for it. You know, and it's just like, those are the challenges. It's like, you know, how do you take that kind of like creativity and be able to like manipulate all of like the regulations to actually like make it legal for somebody to drive a couch down the road at 80 miles an hour, you know, and and it's in, to me, I look at those as like, we've got all of these regulations that we deal with, you know, that, that like influence our creativity. And so I'm always looking for inspiration of like, how do other people's like approach this, like kind of very regulatory or regular regulation kind of like controlled constraint controlled approach to their profession, their creativity. Like how does it hamper them or how does it like, you know, how do they look at that and say, how do I flourish from that? Or how do they get around it? Or how do they get around it? (laughs) How do they avoid it? You know, the, uh, (laughs) the, the book that I read from Adrian Newey, the um, how to build a car, He's a Formula One engineer and car designer, and that literally is his job. Is his job is to here are the Formula One regulations, and my job is to build a car to get around all of those. How do how do I get the upper hand without breaking the rules, but bending them to the point where I haven't oh, broken them? That's the but, building code, right? For and, and that's what we do with the building code. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's just yeah. like, everybody's just like, oh, but the building code says this. And it's like, well, whoa, does it? You know, we just got into a, a, a conversation the other day about area of refuge for stairs. And, you know, as, as, as weird as that sounds, it's just like, well, you know, we got to, we, we've designed these, these stairs and now we need an area of refuge. And I don't think that we've got enough space to do these area of refuge. I'm like, however, we don't actually need the area of refuge. 
We are a low-rise building, fully sprinkled, enclosed building that actually has direct egress out to the level of discharge. We don't need them. Mm. I was like, they are nice to have, but if you're only going two floors, you don't need them. Even though our life fire and life safety code consultants are suggesting them, here is the gray area, or here is not even the gray area. Here is the black and white issue of why we can or cannot have them. Like argue, you can you argue know, it, right? Yeah. You know, here, here is the, here is like if, if I go in front of, if I present these stairs in front of the AHJ, and they say, "Well, you need an area of refuge." I'm like, however, I was like, we do for this type of construction, this type of construction, but for our type of construction and all of the other constraint, all of the exceptions that we are are following, mm-hmm. we don't need one. Mm-hmm. And, and then it's basically up to them to decide whether or not I am in fact full of BS or not. <laughs> but at least I understand where I can present the gray areas or how I can bend it and all of that other stuff. And interpret so, it, interpret it, interpret it. Come on. That's interpret it. The yeah. correct word to use. Sure, it is the right. It, it is. You are right. Because, you know, it's so funny is like we, you know, there was another one on this is that this particular, there's some very interesting constraints to putting mechanical systems on the roof, specifically generators on the roof. And they were, you know, they're, they're talking about that the, that the only thing in the code that it says for this particular one, and this is a, you know, a code book that we, a lot of people who are listening aren't familiar with. So, but the Saudi building code and, and certain other things like civil defense, you know, have a constraint of like the, you know, this equipment needs to be accessed by at grade. And I'm like, okay, it doesn't say that I can't, can't still put it up on the roof and have direct, direct rated access all the way up to that by a rated stair to get to that, to not only get to that rooftop, but also get to that equipment. And so I, I have a fully protected space that the, that the civil defense can get up to that roof and, you know, fight a fire. However, everybody's like, no, no, no. It just, it says that you have to have access at great, like, but it doesn't say that you can't put it on the roof. The, so access, the, the access is at great. Yeah, exactly. And that's what, you know, that's, and that is <laughs> it my says access. It doesn't say equipment at grade. Exactly. Exactly. And that, and that is the contention that we're making is, is that, you know, and so I'll, I'll let everybody know how that, you know, that turns out in the future <laughs> on whether or not okay. um, that occurs because um, right yeah. now it is under review i like it like, you know, i like hey. you're leaving the leaving us on a cliffhanger so that yeah. so that people will come back and listen again <laughs> exactly but <laughs> but i mean you know those to. but those are the things that i i you know the, i guess the reason why i watch the shows that i do and read the books that i do it's just because like i like you know i i find interest in other people's approach on totally cre- on creativity that's exactly it. How how do they approach problem solving? Yes. Yeah. You can never predict what the problems are going to be or how you're going to solve them or what your team is going to bring to the table right. to try to solve that problem. Like it's amazing to me how different things can turn out with one of those variables switched. And and that to me is what is so interesting about the whole creative process, whether it's a a solo creative process or a group creative process. Uh, every single ingredient is and and those who are who are part of it is actually all that's needed to solve that problem and they are the best people to be there at that time to solve that problem 
Yeah, exactly. Could they be switched out? Absolutely. And those rules that I just stated would still stand. Like it's, it, but it, but it's always very interesting to see how like that is a singular outcome of many possible outcomes that was only possible with those ingredients that were at hand. It's so crazy to think about how creativity actually works like that. But I agree. Like it is really fun to watch their process of their, their approach, I think is what you said to actually solving a problem because it could be very different from how you would do it, but it provides insight into another way for you to do it sometime. And I think that is what is so cool about that. Yeah, that's awesome stuff, man. I and and like that's what it brings me. Like I want to watch Adam Savage build a ping pong shooter because I'm not going to build a ping pong shooter, but I want to see how he is going to design the pieces that go into making this thing because I like to see how he thinks. Yeah. Which is informative to me because it's going to inform how I potentially think about solving a problem in the future. And I I think that's where like the the solo architect, the glorified ivory tower architect who gets all the credit for the project, that that whole vision of what that is is so misplaced. And, and what's interesting is, and I think we talked about this in the last episode, which was, you know, the thinking about the benefits of hindsight and, and how, um, what advice would you give to students today, knowing what you know, is that, and I think Sharice, you know, we mentioned her particular piece contribution to this, which was, you know, take take advantage of, of other people's knowledge because and our message in this was that you can stop the solo journey now because it doesn't work like that. Right. It is not a solo journey, even though that is what education has prepared you for, even though that's what licensure is kind of solving for, right. It's like, you're going to be a sole practitioner, worst case scenario, (laughs) hate to say it that way, that if you are going to be kind of solo, even if you're a sole practitioner, you're still not going to do this stuff alone. And there is so much rich information that other people bring to the table. There's also bad information that everybody brings to the table, right, that we have to kind of figure out and navigate as we go along this this process. But that, that to me, is it was a, a huge takeaway from the talk that we gave to the AIAS, which is like, stop the solo journey. You're going to get farther if you actually stop thinking that you can do this all yourself and, and actually rely on other people who number one, have done it before. And, and again, you just take that information. You don't have to use it, right? But, but it's great perspective of what, how somebody solved the problem in the past. And this, this just leads to a really interesting kind of framing that is very different than I think what we're prepared for coming into this profession, which is the solo, like you're going to do this all yourself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which is kind of interesting because a lot of people are just like, oh, I didn't realize how much work it is to like, you know, coordinate in, in that, you know, coordinating is a, is a, is a challenge that yeah. is not, we're not well prepared for in school. In in that, and that's the thing that I always kind of like, I guess, lament about the, like the separation between uh, school and profession is that I understand and appreciate and embrace this notion of creating critical thinkers. But just like having closed book tests and relying on your memory versus like, you know, your ability to search and collaborate other information, you know, it's just like, we're doing us ourselves a disservice by not promoting 
a lot more collaboration in the studio environment, in the, uh, in the school studio environment, because we are going to spend our entire career collaborating with other people. Me sitting down and just saying, I have a vision of what I'd like to do for a, a window assembly. How can like, there's all these different types of curtain wall and I can just do a nice old boring flat curtain wall. That's just straight out of the box. That is what uh, Revit, you know, like, you know, I click on Revit and Revit just, you know, does this nice little, you know, here's this boring thing in, and I just do it in my, but I can go out and I can reach out to contractors, manufacturers, other architects and say, look, you know, I'm trying to do something different, something a little bit more expressive in just this simple, like, it's funny because you approach it like I'm going to do something different and you know, someone has done it before. Exactly. And that's, (laughs) and that's, and to me, that's okay. Yeah. You know, that, that I'm, I, I'm looking for to do something different. And if I like flip through magazines or websites or talk to contractors or other architects and they're like, Oh, you should check out this detail that I did here. And I'm like, Oh man, that's great. Maybe I want to use that detail or maybe I want to do a theme on the, you know, a variation on that theme. At least I have this conversation that I know I can continue with other people to help collaborate. It doesn't mean that I've just reinvented the wheel. It's I've reached out to other people to help me with improvements of the wheel or however we want to put it. But yeah. it's just this like, building I, a better wheel. I, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not like, I don't go into any project on my own. You know, I yeah. like every project that we work on, even if like, you know, like you're a project manager or a sole practitioner or a lead designer or whatever. I mean, even, even down to like the sole practitioner, they're going to reach out to people and say, you know, Hey, I'm looking for an architectural shingle for this one. And what do you got? I've got, here's this idea that I have in my head for what I would like to do. And they're like, Oh, well, come on down. Well, let me show you a variety of different things. And so that to me is taking them outside of that vacuum of just doing it on your own. And it's starting to look at that collaborative system of how you use all of the tools that are outside. Adam Savage's book is called Every Tool is a Hammer. Every Tool is a Hammer. And so, and, and that's how we should treat every approach. It's like, how do, we, how do we use the tools that we have to create what we want? Yeah. And absolutely. those tools aren't just graphic standards or the code book or details and all this other stuff. And you or Revit. Yeah. Or Revit. <laughs> it's everybody and everything and every bit of knowledge that's floating out in the ether. And how do you grab that knowledge? And who do you grab it from? And, and... Because you can't know everything about everything. You can't. And again, I think we're kind of trained to think we can or that we should, and we maybe should feel guilty if we can't. It's not all like that, right? I'm generalizing, but this is, this is one of those important points, which is people bring stuff to the table that is so beneficial to you as a designer or, you know, a team member on the design team, which, you know, is all design to solve the problems that you could never ever possess all of that information. So don't so stop trying, right? And that 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 was re- that's really a, a great message I think for people to hear early in their career. And I think the younger generations are actually pretty well prepared for this, right? Because there are <laughs> my favorite productivity tool in the world which is YouTube, right? Oh, yeah. 
there there are these resources that exist out there, and they they are already used to going out and finding what they need to solve the problem. And I think a lot of times we just rely too heavily on the data side of that and not on the personal side of that because the data is just data. A lot of times it's out of date. Uh, It doesn't connect the dots in the way that I think people do, right? So um, it doesn't bring experience. It's it's just a point in time. So I do think there's an over-reliance on searching for data for this kind of thing. But but I I feel like we're really talking about the people who encapsulate this knowledge. You know, one of my favorite things that you've ever said, and funny enough, it was sitting there in kind of like a, not a, not kind of a, it was sitting there being interviewed by Cherise at the uh, construct Mm. or construct. And, you know, somebody had talked about the tools and what is your favorite tool for productivity. And, you know, I, I feel like they might have been fishing for something. An app. But, I mean, What's your favorite most, app? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite to do list? You know, you and you said YouTube. And I yeah, I, do I wish I would have said it? Sure. But you, you you went through this this, you know, very elegant explanation of why YouTube is an important productivity tool or a knowledge gaining tool. Sure, you know, you can fall down a rabbit hole and get stuck watching like, you know, three hours of of Star Wars video, you know, like fan made Star Thanks Wars algorithm and stuff. Yeah, not yeah. To, <laughs> yeah. Not to say that that's ever happened, but <laughs> yeah, right. But I mean, I think about like all of the things that I've learned through that. And then, you know, like going back to several years ago of of like, you know, like, you know, hey, you still haven't gotten your license and you really should get this done in you know, my, some of my studying tools were like, you know, I haven't really done math in a long time and I'm going to have to go through all of these different things. And I watched, you know, engineers doing basic calculation videos for young engineers. And I'm like, this is the best tool that I've ever had because they're breaking it down to somebody who's never done this before, or it's been a long time since they've done this. It's it's amazing to me to see how much goodwill is encapsulated on a platform like YouTube. And I don't know why YouTube won. I guess it was just the easiest. But it is amazing to see to find what you can find on there. Like you want to figure out how to take a door panel off your car or do you want to figure out how to do calculations for bridge engineering, right? Yeah. It's there. And you can also pick who you want to learn it from. Exactly. Which is very different than the school I attended when I was a youngster. Oh, yeah. yeah. I had to take math from Mrs. Gurney. And... And and not everybody liked Mrs. Gurney, right? Yeah. In high school, so it's it's interesting because now you can pick a, a teacher that you like, and it doesn't have to be YouTube. Obviously, it could be Udemy, it could be Coursera, it could be Masterclass, it could be all these different things. Like I offered a class on three D modeling, and people loved that class from me. And it's just so interesting, like again, to go back to that goodwill aspect because nobody has to do this, and no. a lot of people no. definitely don't do it. They don't, they choose not to. But imagine, like, if in your firm, everybody did a YouTube show on what they were good at for your firm, but then released it outside of your firm. Imagine how far our profession could go with that kind of knowledge being shared. It would be mind-blowingly incredible. And yet, like, people don't generally think like that. So I, taking this all the way back to Adam Savage, like, wow, 
thank thank him, thank you, Adam Savage, right? For thank you, Norm, on New Yankee Workshop. Yeah. <laughs> it's like thanks, Bob Vila from this old house, like my this old house, right? This is it's incredible the what these people accomplished because they wanted to put something out there for others to learn from. And I, I think that 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 is just an incredible thing. And I wish more people did it. And obviously there's not enough time in the world to watch all these channels, but if you're helping one other person or two other people, like it's, that's a good thing. Right. And I, I, I just think that there's so much value in that. Absolutely. Brings us back to, uh, <laughs> tech to where we started, but also, kind of just thinking about like there is a lot of joy that you can find in teaching others and and I think that's part of what makes watching these things a little contagious is when the person who's doing it is seriously enjoying themselves and that I think it we get serious about stuff a lot we're we're creating architecture we're very serious about it and it's hard for us I think to step back and kind of be able to laugh at ourselves right um because we're such a serious profession and there's so much on the line and there's, there's climate and there's, there's so many things that we need to be concerned about. But if, if you're not having fun doing it, like maybe there's a way to make it fun doing it by teaching other people what you enjoy about, about it and what makes you good at what you do and how you approach problem solving. I think if, if you kind of make it a little more personal like that, it's a little more contagious. And I think that's the kind of, stuff that we need to see in the world. It's harder to do than it is to say, for sure. So I know that my like the classes I've offered, I come up I I'm pretty serious about it. So I I could take my own advice there. But uh but that that to me is what what makes that stuff so compelling to watch. It's like, wow, they're they're making this thing, like it doesn't even matter and they're fun to watch and that's my escape. But at the same time, it's informing where I go in the future, for sure. Yeah. So it makes it something I want to come back and watch more of. And here you thought that we wouldn't find a way to turn around on that single rutted dirt always road. Always find a way. Yeah, we always find a way. Always find a way. <laughs> Problem solving in action right there. <laughs> yep. All right, man. Till next time. Absolutely. Thanks to Enscape for their support of this episode. Visit Enscape3D.com slash Arcaspeak today for a free 14-day trial. Thanks for listening. This show is part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. See all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A dot com. You can help support what we're doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out, and don't forget to share it with your friends. We'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at arcaspeakpodcast.com, where you can find our entire catalog of shows. Talk to you soon.